Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. to Hunting Seasons, the podcast that dares to binge watch, deep dive and break down a season of television each and every week. I'm Broderick Gordis and today we'll be discussing Picnic at Hanging Rock. Now, if you're a regular listener of the show, you probably knows that I would normally introduce Damask, my co-host at this point. But um, unfortunately, Damask has come ill and is unable to record today and will not be able to record um, for the rest of the week because she's going to be away in Queensland of all things. So I've had to, uh, well, we're lucky enough to already have guest a guest coming on who's now going to be my co-host for today. And that guest is the one and only Kyron Morrison of the Dialogue Options video game podcast, Kyron. How you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, I'm I'm happy to be here. First of all, it's, I really it's... appreciate you being here as my co-pilot today because otherwise I was doing this by myself, which would have been a really really bad podcast. I think would have been interesting to hear you talk about the one show, like and all on the hot topic off topic on your own for like an hour and a half. That'd be, <laughs> Just that'd talk be to an myself. Experience. I feel like I could do it though. I feel like if anyone can talk to themselves for an hour and a half, it's probably me. Um, I think I've got that ability. I seem to take over these podcasts. Um, on my own a lot anyway. The um, Actually, something I will bring up though is normally the thing about Picnic and Hanging Rock I just want to put out there is this is a show that has a lot of female characters. It is based on women oh, and yeah. uh, the female experience in a lot of ways. And I want to recognize up front that without Damask here, that does mean that we are kind of a very male dominant voice about this conversation. So if you think that's not going to appeal to you, and fair enough if you do, then maybe this is not the podcast for you this week. Um, I will say that Damask will probably give her impressions on Picnic and Hanging Rock on the next episode of Hunting Seasons during the Off Topic Hot Topic. So... That is coming. This isn't a conspiracy to not have a female voice on here. We understand that that does, you know, only give a certain perspective. And I just want to put that up front that we understand that too. And so take anything we say with a grain of salt. At, um, more than a grain of salt. <laughs> just, in, just to play it safe. Yeah. I, listen, I, I hope I still think that our discussion and our perspectives on this yes. are you know, legitimate. But I just want to put that out there that we acknowledge and understand what this that may look a little bit uh, odd considering the source of the material we're talking about. But anyway, just uh, yeah, putting it out there. Now, Kyron, you host a video game podcast with Joel McDonald called Dialogue Options. Do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about Dialogue Options? Sure thing. So, I mean, I guess I guess it's fair to say that nearly every man in their dog has a podcast now, right? <laughs> well, all, everybody in our friendship circle certainly does, yeah. 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 Uh, but essentially, we just it's a weekly show, and we, we sort of spend a bit of time talking about what we've been playing, which mm-hmm. sometimes is like the latest, greatest game, or it could be a game that came out years ago. And we're just getting to it because, you know, we're adults, and sometimes things fall by her wayside. Uh, but apart from that, we also focus on 
any sort of news or hot topics that are going on. Uh, like, for example, at the moment, if you are into the video game industry, you would know that we are winding up for E3, which is yeah. essentially like video game Christmas. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, apart from that, we take questions as well, sometimes play games, just sort of have a great time talking about video games. And we've even had you on the show a couple of times. I've been, I've been lucky enough to be on a couple of times and I appreciate you having me on as a guest. I don't have as much video game knowledge as you or Joel do, obviously. But I've been a, uh, playing video games since I was like five years old at the, at the least. Um, and so I feel like I've got a fairly good grasp. But we certainly talk video games a lot. Um, and I really, really enjoy listening to the show. I listen to it every week. So definitely check out Dialogue Options if, you, Dialogue Options, if you're looking for uh, a video game podcast. They go pretty deep on their stuff. You guys have done a lot of talk on God of War over the last few weeks, which is the sort of God of War 4 kind of, but it's just God of War. Yeah. This is the new one for the PS4, yeah? Yeah, essentially, it is God of War 4 to not give away anything too particular about the story of the game, but it also is a good place to sort of jump in if you haven't played God of War before. Well, that's so, good to know because I ha- I played bits and pieces of the original three. Yeah. Particularly one, but I never was a- considered myself a fan of the of the series, but I'm I'm hearing such good things about the new one that I'll have to get checked out eventually. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a bit. One thing I just want to talk about before we get into off-topic, hot-topic, um, since this is a bit of a melding of TV and video games, um, do you have any favourite video game-based TV shows or potentially TV-based video games? I'm trying to think of ones at the top of my head. I, I certainly watched the um, the Mario Brothers Super Show back in oh. the day. I had, a, quite- I, I had a fair series, amount of those on VHS, if I recall correctly. Do you really? Yeah. <laughs> There's, um, I certainly played a lot of, I mean, going back the other way, played a lot of Dragon Ball Z games. Like, there's a certain TV and anime and cartoons that have had a good transition to video games. There was the Earthworm, Earthworm Gym, which was a weird sort of, like, did both things at different times. Yeah, Earthworm Gym, I, I very much remember there being a show, but never really watched it. I think I played the games first and caught, like, an episode on Cheese TV or something, maybe one morning or something. Actually, the, more, the more I think about it, there's actually a pretty good relationship between cartoons like Saturday morning cartoons type stuff and video games there was all the Looney Tunes stuff there's the Ninja Turtles have heaps of different good games there there's actually a really good relationship there movie wise though other end of the spectrum it's the other end of the spectrum both ways don't seem to work out very well very occasionally where you get a good a movie video game if that makes sense but you never get a good video game movie there's no. a, to this to this to the date. I think the only good video game movie that I can say is actually good is probably the Ace Attorney um, movie. Have you watched I, that? I have. I, I absolutely have watched that. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you are very right. That's probably the closest to a really good video game movie, which I guess is funny enough because it came from Japan and the game was Japanese. So maybe they had that worked out in their favor because a lot of the other ones obviously come from Hollywood and America. Yeah. And certain things happen when a story that might be a video game become a movie. I think everyone will always remember the uh, the transition from game to live action for the Resident Evil series. Yeah, sure. Uh, which is which has gone on for six six movies, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean they were pretty popular. Uh, I've seen all but the last one. I'm not sure why. <laughs> but they did well, even if they are very barely connected to the Resident Evil game series. But I mean, people liked them. They made money. They certainly did. Uh, I think you were saying. Um, oh yeah, the, the people that did the Resident Evil films are, are currently in production or going into production to do a Monster Hunter movie. Is that right? Yeah, it sounds like Monster Hunter's next up. Uh, I, I guess it makes sense. That's 
they're both Capcom franchises after all. Ah, uh, right. But, but uh, so it sounds like I don't know if they've established much of a team, but it sounds like it will be Paul W S Anderson. I think was yep. the guy. Did yeah, so he will be on this, and it sounds not be, like not to be confused with P T Anderson, who is a very different filmmaker. <laughs> well, I've made that problem, made that mistake before. Go on. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. And it sounds like Mila Jovovich will be attached as well. So that also carries that trend across from the Resident Evil movies, for better or worse. I've played uh, a good chunk of Monster Hunter World, which came out this year, though time has not allowed me to go super far in that game. You've played that one as well. I think it's the only Monster Hunter game you've really played, yeah? It, it is actually, yeah. The main one I've played. Do you look at that series and go, oh, yeah, this is made for a movie. This is going to translate real well. Because Resident Evil made sense to me. Resident Evil... Sort of, it's a as a horror monster in a mansion film made some sense. Like, like yeah. that could be translated to a film fairly easily. I don't look at Monster Hunter and think, "Oh, this is obviously a movie." I can see like, the plot of this film, this game making it to a film. Yeah, I, I, I guess it comes down to what they're gonna do. Like, there's something that's sort of appealing about watching people fight giant monsters. I guess. Oh, totally. Yeah. So yeah, they yeah. could definitely make it work there. Story-wise, there's never really much going on in those games anyway, so mm. they've got some freedom there. But yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'm not opposed to it. It could be dumb fun. My biggest concern is just that I think to do Monster Hunter really well, we'd need to have a pretty great budget for CGI. Yes. I don't feel like the Resident Evil movies team is likely to get that sort of budget. I don't think they've been making movies... On a particularly high budget. No, up to this point. I, I would I would agree, and that, that's that's probably the biggest thing going against it. Just because, yeah, like it would be nearly one hundred percent CGI with those monsters, and yeah, that's a very good point, actually. Yeah, that, yeah. that worries me a little bit. One last thing, just I like to talk about this forever. Is there a particular game series that you would like to see made into a TV show or a movie? Is there something out there that you think just is ready to go um, that you would like to see made? Oh, that's a good question. I I know that they are already practically movies, but I guess I would probably say Metal Gear. They're the ones because, that come to mind for me as well. Yeah, like again, they're essentially movies already. Like some of those cuts, infamously the cutscene in Metal Gear Solid Four at the end, <laughs> like the ending cutscene is essentially a movie. It goes for it's like just an a hour. talking movie though. <laughs> yeah. It's just a talking movie with a bunch of flashbacks and like yeah, just two dudes hanging out at a, at a cemetery <laughs> and it goes for like an hour. Yeah, but I loved it. No, I agree. No, I think you're right. I especially think Metal Gear Solid 1 has an yes. awesome action movie script in there. And like you said, it helps that that game and that story was made from someone who really appreciates cinema. Like, in some ways, he probably wishes he was a film director even more than he's a game director sometimes. He's got a lot um, of film friends. <laughs> absolutely, he does. And so... But that also is part of the reason why... Uh, I think the Ace Attorney film works is because it was already very anime. It was a, um, what are they called? A, not a living novel, but like uh, a- Visual. Uh, a visual novel yeah. type game. So there was a lot of storytelling already. I mean, it is a, just, a, as you said, like a book that you sort of play through. Yeah. Um, it made sense to translate that. And I think Metal Gear Solid could very, very easily, that first game, that whole scenario of like infiltrating this island- or this base, you know, in Alaska or whatever it is, yeah, makes a whole lot of sense. And the twists and turns along the way and the characters would work great as sort of like a, a diehard style action film. I could totally yeah. see that working. 
and and you've even got like you get to finish it off with the uh, shirtless fight on top of a giant mech. It's made for <laughs> yeah an epic finale, and then the yeah. car chase at the end and all that sort of stuff. There's there's so and, many and things the, you can do with it. The fox die fake out. Oh man, this it's it's a great <laughs> plot. Like that, uh, that game blew my mind as a kid when I was playing it for the first time. Just there's a twist that comes in. It's just like, oh my god, I've been played. Yeah, like, uh, it's to really that. good. Go play that game if you like. If you want like video games, if you have not played Metal Gear Solid, what are you doing? Yeah, please play Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> All right, we could go on about this forever. Let's move on to off topic, hot topic. Off topic, hot topic. Uh, that's whatever you were talking about for you. So, Kyron, we like to start off every off-topic hot topic with a, a segment called Brian Fuller Watch, which most... Do you know, are you aware of Brian Fuller and who he is? Uh, look, I'm vaguely aware of him. All I know is he's really good at just bailing on things. That's, <laughs> the main, that's the main thing I know about him. Excellent. You know the most important stuff then. Um, there's uh, Most weeks, there's nothing to talk about. Last week, there was, which is fantastic. I always like when these, he uh, something happens. This week, we have just a little something. Oh, yeah. Which, um, just at one headline, Brian Fuller slams Fox for ignoring Freddie Mercury's sexuality and AIDS diagnosis in trailer and synopsis of the uh, Bohemian Rhapsody film that released a trailer just yesterday, I think. Do you, have you seen okay. the trailer for that? I haven't, actually. I keep. I was meaning to watch it all day today, but it just slipped past. But okay, I'll sure. have to it, hit it up. It's interesting. I'm not 100% sold on the movie at this stage. I'm a big fan of Queen, actually, so I want it to be good. I think there's a great story to be told about Freddie Mercury. He's such an interesting person. Um, but Brian Fuller is sceptical or critical, I should say, of some of the marketing in that it seems to him in the trailer, which I need to rewatch now that I've seen this news, Yeah, they seem to be leaning into, because from what I understand, correct me if I'm wrong, listeners, uh, Freddie Mercury very much identified as being bi, but is sort of famous for also becoming uh, contracting AIDS um, and then dying of said AIDS. And... So, when the marketing material seems to concentrate more on the women, his romantic relationships with women rather than with men, he's worried that they're trying to sort of like, um, what's the word? Whitewash is not the word, but maybe appeal to a broader hetero audience by not bringing that, that side of his life into the marketing material. And then also in the synopsis, they don't talk about the AIDS specifically. They talk about a life-threatening illness. Ah. Um, so they're sort of avoiding talking about AIDS by the looks of things as well. Again, the cynical reading from Brian Fuller and possibly the correct one here is that um, they are trying to not bring that up because they're worried that people are less inclined to see the movie of a sp- people of a specific demographic might not want to see the film with uh, that information. Does that make sense? Yeah, I can, I can, I can see again without watching the trailer. It's hard to say, but mm. hearing that about like the synopsis and stuff, it's it's fair, I think, to to have that thought. Maybe mm. I just um, it's interesting. I be, I'd be very disappointed if that reflected the movie. I doubt it would. How could you not make a Freddie Mercury movie about his struggle with AIDS that ultimately killed him? Oh as well? yeah. If that if that didn't happen, that would be fucking disastrous. Anyway, um, some good news on the other hand. Um, Brooklyn Nine Nine has been picked up by NBC. Oh, it there was a day, bro. There was a day where I was terrified that that show was gone, like just gone forever. So and you're a big would, fan of Brooklyn Nine Nine. You've uh... I, I am. I've only seen the first four seasons because I've been watching through Netflix because in Australia, I think I think the only way here to watch it is like SBS and. I don't really have. Oh, is that how you watch up to date? Right. I think that's. I think that's who has like the broadcast rights. Yeah, right. At least. Uh, yeah. So I mean, I don't have TV hooked up per se, and 
they took away the console support for SBS on demand. Yeah, so how really, much did that suck. I tried to use that the other day and was yeah. like, this is rubbish. Where'd that go? I know. I, I'm going to blame it was budget a cuts. Great idea. Yeah. Oh. Politics podcast now. <laughs> it happens. It happens a lot. Yeah. Leave our ABC alone. <laughs> and SBS. And Actually, SBS. they've got a budget, slight them. budget increase, apparently, at the last budget. Oh, okay. Very slight, like a couple of mil, nothing much. Uh, but yeah, like, no, I'm definitely what I would consider a, a decent fan of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I didn't watch it from the start because initially I have concerns about Andy Samberg sometimes, you know? Sure, sure, yeah. I, I can get sick of him, but I just haven't as uh, Jake Peralta. And the rest of the cast is also just incredible as well. And the storylines and the, the stuff that they encounter and talk about is also very good. Oh, excellent. So you're happy to hear that NBC has picked up, uh, has saved Brooklyn Nine-Nine after cancellation? I'm so happy. Like, again, like I said, it happened and everyone on Twitter was just, that's where most of my social media time is spent. Everyone on Twitter was in mourning and I, it, I, I think I knew that it would get saved somehow just because of how much it was present in the hashtags and the trending and all that but it was just good to hear it was actually happening it's just it's hard to know sometimes it's because there are a lot of things cancelled as well so you got to ask like what what is this special enough this show to get picked up by somebody else when people are also excited the expanse has been cancelled for instance yeah that's that's a bummer yeah there's all these all these other cancellations going on and some cynical renewals of shows like last man standing which we talked a little bit about last week as well and and things like that that you kind of feel like, well, the the world's just unfair and is it really going to be picked up? NBC picking up is pretty cool as well. NBC, traditionally the home of Parks and Rec and uh, The Office and Community. And for me, who's only seen a little bit of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, it certainly seems to fit their sort of comedy lineup, I would think. They seem yeah. to be really into the Mike Schur style of comedy anyway. Um, and then... Yeah, I, I'm I'm happy to see going to NBC. Um, I, I, yeah, it's it was one of those things. Seeing the Twitter reaction, if someone doesn't watch it regularly, the um, there was either people who were outraged or just people who hadn't got onto the show yet but were really sad because everyone they knew was sad. If that <laughs> makes sense. Well, that's one thing I think is in- interesting to note. I feel like now that it's been saved, like there are heaps more people that are jumping in, which is always nice to see as well. So. In a way, this could work out well for it. I had this discussion um, with my housemate actually the other day about whether this is sort of like good marketing or not. And I, I, I don't think it's... I still have to think it's bad marketing. You never want to be cancelled, right? Oh, no. Being cancelled is a bad, bad thing. Um, it just... It's, it's, it's never where you want to be. And so, while it might in the long run end up being good news for their ratings, the thing is as well, I just think ratings are such a weird thing these days. The way that people consume television... Um, particularly probably the the audience that this is aimed at um, in terms of sort of people our age who tend to watch things digitally in their own time. Maybe they don't watch them when they're first airing on TV in the moment, which is how most network stations make their money is based on advertising as it goes to air for the first time. Um, yeah. It's just, it makes this sort of programming, I don't know, more challenging to keep it afloat. And I can see why it might've been cancelled and I'm really glad it's been picked up though i i hope it has a long long life ahead of it but we'll see yeah because i mean i guess that's the thing i did see someone asking the question on twitter today that how often is a show cancelled and then bought back and you know is still as good and it was it was tricky like there's i don't think there's that many examples it depends on a lot of things i think it depends on well 
we, neither of us have seen through season five, so it's hard to say. Do yeah. we feel like the show was cancelled at a point where it was creatively on the decline? Or was it at its peak at that time? Or because I, to, by the response I'm getting is that people are still really loving the show. They're in the midst of their of their relationship with this show in a way. Not, yeah. oh, it's tailing off, but I kind of want to see it conclude better than ha- how it has been. I, yeah. And the fact that it was picked up so quickly means that there probably hasn't been a skipping continuity. It's not like Futurama being coming back ages later or even Community, which sort of came back um, on Yahoo with like a, a really short episode run for its sixth season. Yahoo was a new network, probably didn't know what to do with it exactly. They were new to that sort of TV making at all. Um, it was creatively, I think, on the decline anyway. It just needed to sort of wrap up. It's such a different yeah. sort of beast. Um, yeah. I I think I don't think it will affect the show much at all. I'll probably make some jokes about it that it's moved, but I don't. I would be surprised if creatively it got in the way of the show at all. Yeah, uh, uh, man. So speaking of like jokes when a show is cancelled and brought back, those are some of my favorite like Futurama jokes when it gets brought back. Like yeah. all the Fox jokes they make. Just so I, I would love it if they made some jokes relating to that. That would be great. I'm sure there'll be something in there. Some yeah. some subtle clues as to uh, as to that happening that people in the know will understand. Um, all right, I'm gonna move on to some Arrested Development news, and by news I mean everything. But since the last that we talked about Arrested Development on this show, a lot has happened. Previously, we reported about the faithful consequences, sorry, fateful consequences recut of season four, which actually released um, just a week and a bit ago now. Um, have you had a chance to watch any of that? You're a fan of Arrested Development, yes? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love Arrested Development. And I, I have managed to, I think, sink my teeth into maybe the first six or so episodes of Fateful Consequences. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm working on it. Have you watched season four in its entirety with the original cut? I have, yes. What did you think of that? I thought it was, it was okay, mm. but... I mean, I, I think we all had certain expectations after season three as to what another season of that show would be like, and I don't think season four was it. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it was it was serviceable. But I'm enjoying the recut version a lot. Yeah, I I've watched all of it pretty much now. Not oh, okay, super um, like full on if that makes sense. I've watched maybe two thirds of it with my girlfriend, like concentrating on it properly, and then it's been on the background the the last few episodes once when my brother. Liam was in the room watching it and I was doing something else um, and was paying enough attention to it though to, to, to sort of experience it fairly well and I, um, I'm really happy with the, with the recut it's not perfect I still think of the four seasons it's the weakest because yes. of the just simply the fact that there's not enough interacting between our main cast they've got these such separated storylines that you miss the chemistry of having everyone either in the same room or several of them with their stories intersecting quickly and and manically like they do in the original um, three seasons. But the recut makes the story surprisingly better, like way, 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 way better than the original version. And I'm left, yeah. left feeling, at least feeling a lot more like the original. And the 22, I swear, the 22-minute episode things makes a huge difference. Trying to put a little tiny arc in each of those 22 minutes for the three or four characters you might be following that episode does wonders for my ability just to consume it and enjoy it. I do, it's it's a weird thing, but it makes a huge difference for me. Yeah. Uh, for me, it was even just as... Like, even though they all do have like very separate storylines, it was just nice to see so much of a main cast in the same episode together. Yeah. 
Because, like, I mean, the original cut, you would sometimes have an episode where it would be a particular character, and it was, it was good, but you sort of wanted more from the rest of the cast, but obviously that wouldn't work. Yeah, well, that was... It's a weird thing, right? It's... You you can talk about a show and say, oh, Joe's my favourite character, or Buster's my favourite character, or George Michael's my favourite character, or Lucille, or whatever. But it's weird how when you just get 20 to 30 minutes of that one person, it's a little bit too much of a good thing. And you realise that some of these characters are better in small doses. They're better in conjunction with these other characters. And to just disperse them a little bit, sprinkle them a little bit more throughout the story rather than concentrate on them for 20, 30, 40 minutes at a time like some of those episodes did yeah. makes a huge difference to the, to just keeping you engaged and, and keeping some variety in the flavours that you're getting. It's like, and that sounds really weird, but it's like, it's important to be mixing that up rather well, yeah. than just be on the same thing all the time. Yeah, I, and I, you are absolutely right because as fun as a character like Job is, for example, mm. you you do want to see him play off more than just Michael because he does have great material that he can that he can run into with the other with the rest of the family. Just yeah, uh, it Job works. is a great character. Yeah, oh no, th- I think they're all great <laughs> characters though. I'm I'm yeah. left with this season as well. Really, really appreciating um, Michael Sarah. I think he might be the standout of season four in a lot of ways. I really like what they've done with George Michael in season four. I'm fascinated to see where they go with that storyline, particularly the relationship with Michael in the next season. Like really interested. If you remember how the season ends, it just ends on a really interesting note with those two. You don't remember. I I actually don't remember. Oh man, I'm excited for you. I love the final shot of the fourth season is a really, is a really interesting place to leave it. And it's like, huh, I can't wait to see where that goes next. I'm I'm excited. Um, Just something that's really interesting, a little um, sort of side consequence, fateful consequence, you might say, of the Ooh. recut. So, with the originally, I think it was 17 episodes or, or a lot about that in the original season four cut. They've made it these 22, uh, 22 episodes of a shorter length, partly because or primarily because that will allow the show to go into syndication on networks that want to buy it in the future, right? So, they can put yeah. all the episodes from the back three um, seasons plus season four's 22-minute 22 shorter episodes in syndication, which means there's more money theoretically that can come into be made from the show when they sell it off for syndication. Yes. From that, the actors, particularly the main cast, are now asking for compensation because of this extra episode count. Because apparently their contracts, the way that they were paid, was a dollar amount for each episode depending on how much they were in that episode. So if they were if the episode was sort of primarily about them, it was of a certain amount. Let's say two hundred thousand dollars or something like that. I can't remember what the exact amount was. If it was if it was sort of a medium um a medium sort of appearance, it was like a hundred to one hundred and fifty thousand. And then for a small appearance it was fifty to one hundred thousand dollars, something like that. But yeah. now that the episodes have been recut, they're wanting to be paid compensation because they're in more episodes theoretically now. Which is a really, really interesting problem. How do you feel about that? Just gut reaction hearing that news now. I mean, I guess in a way, like, I mean, it, it, they are using their performances mm-hmm. and sort of just sort of like shuffling them back around. So I can, I can see the angle the actors are coming from, like, like, because they would have performed a certain, like, X amount of scenes or like time in front of a camera and then to have that all reshuffled, turn into 22 episodes of it that change the flow of the story. Yeah, man. 
Did I, did I film any additional stuff for it at all? Or? I think they, they've used some bits that were not in the original cut, apparently. Okay. And I think they've, they've definitely added a lot of new Ron Howard dialogue, as in narrator dialogue. Yes. Lots, yeah. lots. And a few new jokes from that as well. There's a specific, um, specifically a joke about George Senior that, um, that only makes sense post in the time since the season four originally aired about Transparent because Transparent wasn't a show he was on when they made season four. But now that he is and he has is sort of going through a hormonal change in the show and is dressed as a woman at the end of it, they directly allude to Transparent at the end of it. So that was completely added okay. just because yeah. things of like that's the reality of, of what he's done since work-wise. Um, but beyond that, they may have filmed one or two little sequences that are new that I think are more just trying to get things ready. Do you remember in Portal, how Portal 1... This is a video game thing for yeah. the Kyron will understand. In yes. Portal 1, they did an update before Portal 2 came out that changed yes. the ending slightly, alluded yeah. to just a little bit for... Like, just add an extra 10 seconds to show you... Allude to, some, to setting up the Portal 2, right? Yeah. They've sort of done that, I think. There's one scene okay. I think is just trying to set up some things for season five. Anyway, that doesn't involve any of the main characters. Because I, I, uh, there was a scene very early on with, um, oh, is it Hen- Henry Henry Winkler? Yes. Winkler? Yeah, yeah, the lawyer. In at, at like the, when they're at, at the, um, I'm not sure if it was a police station where, where they've been pulled up after taking the boat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. very obviously sort of green screen. Yeah, I was no, like, was that in the original no, cut? No, that was in the original cut and it looked that awful then too. The, there was okay, some awful right. green screen. They've actually right. fixed a couple of bad green screen moments, but that one is still horrendous. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't sure. I was like, is this intentionally bad? I oh, couldn't tell. It's not intentionally, <laughs> but it's bad. <laughs> it's right. awful that bit and that's just that was just a consequence of trying to and this is the problem with season 4 and why they made it the way they did with the separate sort of storylines is because contractually they had a hard time getting all the actors in the same place at the same time because they since Arrested Development have all had pretty big careers and were all busy and so they just had to work around their schedules hence why H- Henry Winkler has to be green screened into a scene they want him for because they couldn't get him in that day yeah yeah looks awful I, my feelings on the whole compensation thing are that good on them for trying, but I think they might be, um, I think they might have a hard time with this. Like if they get compensation, great. If they don't, I, I'm having a hard time being really upset for them. They would have seen the scripts. They would have understood what, how much work they'll be compensated for, you would think. Yeah. So they didn't feel like they originally had 22, epi- 22 episodes, made them 17, and then paid them less. I think they knew what their episode count was and how long they probably were. They'd seen the scripts, how much work was going to go into them, and were paid accordingly. It's been five, six years, seven years? No, six years, I think it is. Five or six years since season four originally came out, and they've only just done this. I don't personally think they're probably owed... Because they were paid for their time. Yeah. They're owed more because of the recut. However, I would agree with them if they wanted to have some back-end rights to the fact that it's going to be syndicated. So See, that would, that would make more sense. I would be asking personally for a certain percentage of the profits made from syndication based on the fact that they've now recut it for syndication when the original cut was not suitable for that. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I actually have a strange question. Do yes. we know if this like recut season is still classified as like... A Netflix one, or 
How do you make? Is it a Netflix like, original? As, as, as an original, yeah. Every episode says it's a Netflix original, so okay. I'm pretty sure. Right. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, certainly, Netflix are now have put it up there as the season four. And to look at the original cut of season four, you have to go into trailers and others area. <laughs> They've hidden it away. You can watch it, but it's they honestly they obviously believe this is the better version. And considering, yeah, yeah I, I think it's I think it's still Netflix baby for the most part. Okay, cool. Um, the next thing that happened. There's so much rest development news. Season five. Not long after the recuts came out, was announced to be releasing on May 29th on Netflix. And it's rumored to be 17 episodes this new season, probably okay. of a similar 22-minute length. I, I, I would think we'll find out when it comes out that Mitchell has probably learned his lesson and tried to make it again for syndication, um, which is crazy because I was convinced. Like I said on when we were talking about this last time that I probably didn't expect to see season five until sometime towards the end of the year. So, to get not just the announcement of the recuts of season four, but to have them arrive about a week later, to then have the new season arriving at the end of May, it's fucking bananas. There's always money in the banana stand. It's fucking yeah. bananas, I think. Yeah, no, because like, I think they announced a while ago that they were doing another season, so, but I'd nev- I didn't know when they were actually shooting. Well, and they, then, like, but they were. They started. They started shooting. Actually, and understood. Knew this because I looked up earlier on eighth of August, two thousand seventeen. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I remember seeing that post. Like the, the the pictures go up on the Arrested Development Twitter account, which sort of talked about the new se- like the recut version of season four. And I, I think they mentioned, or there was like talk from the guy that it will be here soon. Like, and but I didn't think that soon. No, I don't like, think anyone like, thought that soon. Like two or three, two weeks away or so. It's wow. it's happening more and more frequently, I'm finding, with Netflix in particular. Something that we've noticed in the video game industry recently, right, is there has been a quicker turnaround of release, of, of announcement of a game to actual release. The most famous one in recent times being Fallout 4. That which, one was insane. Which was announced at E3 and then released in October? October or November. It was like a couple of months later. Yeah. And everyone was like, God, that's never coming out on that date. And it did. And there seems to be a trend of this happening. Um, Zelda's not a good example, but Mario Odyssey was sort of informally announced with the Switch announcement and then announced properly at the Switch reveal, I think. Is that right? Uh, I don't know if it was real. Oh, yeah. I guess it technically appeared in like the Switch debut videos, but everyone was like, what is this Mario game? The, the, and then the, 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 the reveal for the Switch talked about it yep i think that's a title with that one because we saw yeah what's his name with the hat and then we got the title of that one and then we yeah. had the big trailer at e3 in june and then the game came out in october yeah so the turnaround yes. that game was less than a year which has not been the case but seems to be happening more and more frequently these games are announced and released within three six twelve months and i'm finding that netflix is doing that a lot is keeping things under wraps announcing them with a trailer and they come out a month or two later um which i'm really really liking personally i think it's really great i absolutely love it like there's nothing worse than finding out something's coming and then having to wait two or three years for it Mm -hmm. like it's it's much better for them to keep it secret maybe there's teasers or hints but then they go hey here's this thing also what's coming out in like a month or two months and you're like well all right, I'm in. Excellent. Let's go. I'll be there. Day one. Let me just get my diary out. Just put yep. that in. Excellent. Pencil Glow is in. coming out in June or July, whatever it is. Excellent. I'll be there for yep. that. <laughs> Westworld's back. Brilliant. Let's go watch Westworld. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm a big fan of that. This is the difference. The There are exceptions to the rule, obviously. Game of Thrones fucking... Mm. 
you know, we're waiting however long for that and the hype cycle's been up for that ever since the last season ended anyway. And I and I for Game of Thrones I just I'm wondering how much I'm gonna enjoy it. <laughs> I'm worried about that season. I'm very worried. Um here's the bad news on the season five arrest development announcement. It will not be releasing on Netflix in Australia on that date. We are not... Well, from what I understand is that Netflix don't actually own the distribution rights of Arrest Development new seasons in Australia, which is hilarious. Now, partly that's because when season four came out, Netflix wasn't in Australia yet. So, they found other channels. I want to say it was Foxtel it came out on at the time. Now, I go on. I was going to say, I can't really remember. I, I may have watched it via other means. I think most people who are Arrested Development fans magically found a way to watch it, uh, on the, you know, without... Even though it wasn't formally released in Australia or on Netflix at that time. Magically had 17 new episodes of Arrested Development to watch. It, what a miracle. Magically. And just out of thin air, they appeared. It was yeah. just like magic. The This seems weird, though. Because obviously now Netflix is in Australia and we get most things day and date with the rest of the world. So this is sort of like a legacy holdover from previous arrangements. Funnily enough, which we wondered if there would have been problems with old shows like Orange is the New Black and House of Cards. And it wasn't. They all appeared on Netflix day and date as the same as the US and other countries. So the fact that we're not getting it here is odd. We don't even know who holds the rights right now. My best guess would be Fox. But yeah, we don't just to stick know. it to us. No one has announced if and when Arrest Development Season 5 will be released in Australia. That's, it's terrible. It's really sad. It's really sad. Somehow, somehow, I think I might just have to fly over to the United States and watch it over there and come back so I can review it. Um, I will find a way to watch that season, I think. And from what I understand, the methods that I might use are not illegal, which is good to know. They're just magical. <laughs> magical. That's fine. Mm. The law doesn't cover magic or sorcery <laughs> or any of that stuff. So That's natural fine. law. That's very different to like yeah. government law. Exactly. <laughs> Loopholes. I think we've exhausted most of the rest of development news, but I think suffice to say, we're both pretty excited about the new season, even if yeah. it's going to be hard for us to watch. When we do get to watch it somehow, I am very excited for it. <laughs> Excellent. Kyron, do you have anything for us for Off Topic Hot Topic this week? Uh, actually, I so as you mentioned at the start of the podcast, on my own podcast, I've spent a lot of time talking at length about God of War, mm-hmm. but I haven't talked about it much with you, really. No. Well, I haven't played but, it, which doesn't... <laughs> yeah. Also that, and also the fact that you were you were sort of avoiding trying to be spoiled too much. Yeah, I've, because I've really appreciated you guys putting time codes in dialogue, dialogue options episodes, so I can just skip over the God of War talk. I will come back to it when I do get around to playing that game eventually one day, maybe. Um, but yeah. I would heavily recommend it. <laughs> yeah, I'm keen. I'm really keen. I just got a new TV today, which is I haven't actually installed yet, so I don't want to talk about it on the podcast too much. But it's HDR 4K. Which is very tempting to get a PS4 Pro and play God of War on that, because that would look very nice, I think. Yeah, well, I mean, it looks really nice on the regular PS4. Oh, good. <laughs> I'll be with that, too. Uh, tell us a bit about uh, God of War. Yeah, okay, sure. Uh, so, I, yeah, God of War is a series that came into fruition on the PS2, which, back in the day, starring Kratos, the angry god-killing maniac that he was, uh... Most again, most well known for its gratuitous violence, and yeah, his just his sheer joy for for slaughtering his way through the Greek pantheon, and as well as some minor Greek 
mythology characters <laughs> along the way to, to for good measure. He's not uh, exclusive. He'll he'll kill no. any, any Greek any, any Greek anything's really. Yeah, exactly. But uh, the, the series sort of wrapped up after three. There were some other spin-offs ones, but I don't. I never checked them out. I was only in for the main three games, and outside of that, I didn't really care too much. And he went quiet for for a while. I think God of War three was on the PS three, so it was a while ago since that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there was that momentous E three where Sony sort of boldly started their press conference with like a full on orchestra playing a live song that. No one really knew what it was, but as it got further in, it became apparent that it was God of War. And suddenly we were we were back in the God of War world. Kratos has a beard now, has a son now, and it was just really weird. And there was a fair amount of concern, I think, as to how good it would be, because it was sort of adopting a style that Sony has flocked to, which is like, you know, the, the third, third person camera where the camera is sort of over the shoulder of the protagonist usually with like a little AI partner character tagging along and a heavy focus on story and and the relationship of those two characters, mostly thanks to Naughty Dog and Uncharted and Last of Us. Mm. But uh, so people were worried about how that would work for God of War because again, as mentioned earlier, Kratos loves just killing gods. It's his thing. Yeah, so it's fair to say that the story in one to three was serviceable, it was fun, but you wouldn't say that while there's definitely some drama there, like the origins of Kratos and how he became to be the god of war, especially so there's a tragic backstory involving his family that I won't spoil for people who don't know it. Yeah. Is, there's meat there, but it doesn't really delve into that with any sort of depth or nuance, does it? No, not really. And that's part of the reason that the new god of war is very refreshing. Right. It 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 doesn't discard the, the history of Kratos and that that'll become apparent when you play the game but it is it is still a part of his character and shockingly he his character has progressed and evolved and he's got this son now and and the the, the main crux of the new god of war is sort of Kratos coming to terms with what he's done as well as raising this child and trying to teach him roughly right from wrong without again without spoiling anything too much and it's so fascinating to watch him sort of wrestle with that emotion there's a couple of shots in particular early in the game where his son will be like looking at something or like feeling an emotion and you can see Kratos he reaches out to sort of like you know to touch the boy to pat him on the back and stuff but he always recoils and you're just like just do it dude come on man it doesn't matter too much, but the moment it's it's worth those those fake outs of the moment when he finally does do it, and you're like, oh, my heart is melting for this burly, muscular, <laughs> bald man of a beard who who punched his dad's face into red mush. Like, <laughs> how am I feeling? Emotions to this, but it's just they like the team has done such a good job making his character so interesting, and the world again without spoiling the the first God of Wars were good. But it felt like they sort of were like, hey, look, it's the Greek Greek gods, haha. It's it Cerberus, here's Hades, like, here's yeah. Zeus, here's such and such, yeah. It was like the who's who of like the Greek pantheon, but- It was like the Avengers for Greek pantheon, no, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Keeping it topical, I like it. Get those uh, get those keywords in there. Um, but this one, they, they take time. Like you, you don't just run into the game and suddenly you're fighting- Odin or you see Loki immediately or anything like that and it sort of lets the the story evolve around Kratos and Atreus his son and I mean when you reach the end you, you're sort of ready 
to actually get into the to the because it's in this is the Norse mythology we're in now. Yep. We, Kratos is done with the Greeks. He's under the Norse gods, who I think are much cooler, honestly. Sure. And uh, so that when they announced that that was like the focus of this game, I was immediately in, especially with like you've got like Marvel's four popular history channels got Vikings going on, so it's sort of like in the thick of it right now. And to sort of to to think about what they could do with Kratos and those gods was amazing. And then to not to reach the end of a game and not have really dealt with any of that, but still feel incredibly satisfied and, wow. and thirsty for another God of War in this world, like it, it establishes a lot of the of the gods that you just know you're going to see eventually, but you don't have to you don't kill them. And at first, I was like, "But I'm Kratos, <laughs> isn't that what we do? Like, it's what we do." But <laughs> as as it eased me into it, I was just like, "No, this actually this is better. I, I like this more." It, 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 I think a lot of people have been saying it, but it does just feel like the God of War franchise has matured with this one. Yep. There's no awkward sex mini games to worry about. Yep. And even though there is violence, like it, it seems more reasonable as far as the graphicness goes. I've, I've seen people like Jeff Canada, who I enjoy his um, perspective on games. He has a video game podcast as well called DLC and a few other things he comes by video games. But he was talking about how one of the problems he has with some video games is actually quite narratively ba- uh, sort of narratively focused, like, say, um, Uncharted, is that the violence... What's that term? Ludo-narrative dissonance? The violence yeah, yeah. doesn't seem to work within the story it's telling. So that while the, the violence is fun from a gameplay perspective, like, obviously, there's enjoyment to be gained from... Um, gunfights and punching guys and sneaking up on them and killing them and stuff like that and there's challenge there it doesn't actually fit with the story they're sort of telling whereas he's really impressed that the violence is not only addressed but sort of makes sense in the story they're telling in God of War which I think is sounds incredible that there's nothing more than that that probably actually gets me really wanting to play this game I, I t- I, that is that is exactly it because there are some cutscenes in particular that I remember in this game very vividly <laughs> And it's it's sort of it's Kratos pulling his son aside in a, in a couple of situations, and the 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 talks they have, the discussion, like the the teachings that Kratos is trying to pass on, like it was just it was it does address a lot of that stuff, like the violence especially, and it's just so. How was a God of War game this interesting? That's the part that I just don't understand. But here we are. That's- here we, it is twenty eighteen, and God of War has has matured and has sucked me in with a, a character. With meaning, <laughs> um, fatherhood. I don't want. I don't want to stick on this for too much longer, as we do need to get to our review of Picnic, Picnic Hanging Rock. But it's interesting what you talked about. Like this feels like the God of War franchise has grown up, right? Do you think that's true of video games in general? Do you feel like this is a genre that is growing up? Do you think this is the sort of path that you want to see video games go down with what they're doing with God of War, and or do you think that's the direction they're heading? I think it's definitely the direction that it seems like Sony wants to go this way. Mm-hmm. Like Sony is loving this this focus on narrative, and honestly, I am too. Especially if they keep doing such a good job and like take taking the the thing that helps a lot for this, especially is they were okay to give this time. Like this game had been cooking for a while, like several years, and Sony even when they announced it was like, "Hey, here's a trailer." Then it went quiet. Mm. Then I think the year after there was another trailer. And then it went quiet. And people were like, is this getting delayed? And Sony was like, no, no, it's coming early in 2018. Don't worry. 
and yeah they stuck to it and again like sony just has a great staple of studios that can do this type of game and i would be okay with more companies embracing it because games are fun and this is still a fun game but it's a fun game with great great combat and mechanics that still has a good story and story is a part i think of that, that games have mostly struggled with just because of as you mentioned like ludo narrative dissonance is a thing yeah like uncharted i don't know how nathan drake can crack so many jokes yeah. he has killed thousands of people he seems unaffected by the thousands of people he has killed in those games literally yeah, like, thousands yeah and and yeah it's just nice to see to see this happening whether it, whether more companies will embrace it, I don't know. I think it's doing well for Sony, so I have to imagine because there is a certain sort of copycat nature in mm-hmm. the games industry sometimes, mm-hmm. where like if something works for a company, others will jump on it. A, there are several genres that are examples of this, but I, I hope more people embrace this type of game, like because this is good. Yeah, I th- more of this. I think I think it's a really interesting space we're in at the moment with video games, where um, there's just so many different things a game can be now, like. You can obviously you can have your big blockbuster AAA games like God of War or Uncharted, which can be fun and graphically, um, visually really really interesting and narratively deep and tell really great interesting stories. You can have indie games which don't have that same budget but can still be about something and tell really interesting narratives and stories and have great characters as well. And you can also have Everything in between, whether it has a narrative or not, maybe it's just a dumb shooter like Doom, but can that can be really fun too? And it can embrace its violence and just be tongue-in-cheek and fun. Or, you know, you can have Spec Ops The Line as well. Or you can have... There's just... Games can be so many things now. Some games don't even have a story at all. Some games are just... You go on there and you play multiplayer with some friends and you do that for a couple of hours and you say goodnight and go to bed. Like, there's... I I don't I wouldn't want every game to be this. I think that'd be kind of stale too. Absolutely not. But I'm really glad that we seem to be finding real art in our games um, as well. And there's and that I think there is room for all of it. That that yeah, a Doom can exist alongside a God of War or a Last of Us, um, as can Overwatch or Journey or like. There's so many different versions of that out there. I think it's really cool. Yeah. Uh- Video games as an industry are in a really good spot. And again, it almost feels like they're more mainstream than ever now. Yeah, like more definitely. people are paying attention. And it's just exciting to think where we could go from here. And yeah, like you said, like all these games exist. And, and that's not even mentioning like the weird games that are popular now. Not because they're bad, weird, because you're like, oh, people are playing this. Like the, the Zeldas and the Marios. Yeah. That Nintendo's fan base is usually a pretty niche, but those two games... I know a lot of people who were, tr- were trying them out and it was really exciting. Yeah, you're 100% right. I, I'm just thinking of the parallels at the moment, actually. TV's been really interesting. We're going through peak TV at the moment is the idea and there seems to be this transition in a lot of ways. Cinema, you seem to only have two types of movies. and That's a, that's being a little bit um, simplistic, but you have your small budget films that are Oscar bait, your indie films, and you've got your mega giant AAA, 100, 150, 200, 300 million dollar films and they're sort of all the films there's none of these 20 to 50 million dollar mid-tier films being made anymore and so because of that 
some of that in-between storytelling seems to have moved to television and you can see television starting to mature where you can have a show like Legion, which is kind of batshit crazy off the wall, but you can also have your... Um, you know, your Westworlds, or you can have your Better Call Souls. There's just, or your Game of Thrones, which is a huge block. There's just so much great storytelling and experimentation going on with TV at the moment. It kind of reminds me of, I think the TV, although it's been around forever, it's it's sort of becoming something, I, I don't know, it's taking over. It's definitely expanding and becoming bigger and better, I think, same way video games are. Yeah, uh, for me, the, the major turning point, it, it will sound weird, maybe to other people, was like, well, this isn't the first time it's happened. But I still, it blew my mind when I found out, first of all, Game of Thrones was going to be a series, mm-hmm. but Sean Bean was going to be in it. Yeah, right. Like, this movie actor was like, I'll do a TV show. And now that, that seems to be becoming the norm because, yeah, television has really stepped up. Like, yeah, I'd turn around and watch Liam watching something and there'll be an actor over there. I'm like, what the, that's a, why is that? I think, isn't there a, a J.K. Simmons series at the moment? That's got him yes. in it and like... Uh, SBS picked it up. Yeah, right. There's just all these... There are so many actors that you think of from these like your favourite dramas or comedies or whatever that are making mo- like they're making TV shows now. And you're like, it's just becoming so normal. I mean, yeah, there was... As you said, there was Sean Bean, then Kevin Spacey. Not that we talk his name anymore. But like when he went to TV to do House of Cards and it's, um, it's pretty incredible how much that's happening. Anyway... We could go on for hours. Let's move on to our spoiler-free review of Picnic at Hanging Rock. Let me clue you in. Season in review. Picnic at Hanging Rock is an Australian television mystery drama series that first screened on Foxtel Showcase and is being distributed internationally on the BBC and Amazon Video. The series was adapted from Joan Lindsay's 1967 novel of the same name about a group of schoolgirls who, while on an outing to Hanging Rock, mysteriously disappear. The series is written by Beatrix Christian and Alice Addison and directed by Michael Reimer, Larissa Kondraki and Amanda Brocci. Picnic at Hanging Rock stars Lily Sullivan, Madeline Madden, Samara Weaving, Natalie Dormer, and Yale Stone, i.e. Morello from Orange, Orange is the New Black, as Miss Dora Lumley. The series premiered on May 6, 2018, and consists of six episodes, each coming in at around 51 minutes, and took us approximately five hours and five minutes to watch. Picnic at Hanging Rock is also famous for the 1975 Peter Weir film adaptation, which is widely regarded as a cinematic classic. Now, before we get into our review, Kyron, I just wanted to ask... What is your relationship with Picnic in Hanging Rock um, before the television series? Obviously, there was the book and then the movie, which is the Peter Weir movie. Were you familiar with those at all? Have you read or watched those? So, I was aware of both the book and the movie, but I actually hadn't seen or read it. So, that is something I, I do want to fix now because I have heard no, no end of like praise for the movie, especially. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I actually hadn't encountered either of them in any great depth, unfortunately. Yeah, I'm the same. I have not read the book and I've not seen the movie. And I te- was tempted to try and watch the movie, but I Me decided too. not. Well, I do want to still. I might even try and do it in the next week before the next episode of Hunting Seasons, but I didn't want to do it before watching the show. Um, mainly because I don't want my opinion of the movie to re- affect my opinion of the TV show. The, the truth is, you don't need to, you should not have needed to read the book or watch the movie to understand the TV show. It should stand up on its own. Similar to how I should not have had needed to read Game of Thrones to enjoy Game of Thrones, the TV show, and I haven't, and I did. So, um, I, 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 
I like I can see someone arguing that you know that's a that's a hole in my knowledge. So I'm not seeing the film yet, but it shouldn't affect my opinion or how I interpret the the TV show. So I'm happy with that. But yeah, I'm going to try and get around to the movie pretty soon. Um, in terms of Hanging Rock, I'm fairly familiar with it mainly because we live well. I live down the road from it. Um, I mean, technically we both do because it's one road, the Calder yeah. Freeway, <laughs> and. We every time I travel from Bendigo, which you li- you live in Bendigo and I am from Bendigo, every time I travel between Bendigo and Melbourne, I pass Hanging Rock. I see it quite frequently on my drives out of and into Melbourne. It is always there. there. It's always been there, and I have um, been there a couple of times. I've uh, possibly even picnicked there, ironically. Oh, but you didn't go missing, no. I I, st- I didn't go missing. I'm still here, which is nice. Um, so that is, you know, as a place, I'm aware of it. And uh, yeah, it's nice. You should go there. <laughs> Check it out. Have a picnic there. <laughs> so yeah, be careful if you go picnicking there. Just be, just be just careful. Just be careful. <laughs> just be careful. That's all we're saying. You know, for, actually, I will say this. For the longest time, I actually thought it was based on a real story. Not that I necessarily thought that the details of the story were real, but that really girls went missing there in 1900. Apparently, that's not true at all. For the longest <laughs> time, I thought it was at least based on a real event. There you go. Idiot me. So, Kyron, could you please give me your spoiler-free review of season of of, of Picnic and Hanging Rock? There will be no season two of Picnic and Hanging Rock. Oh, <laughs> I, yeah. I love I love those like groans at, or or sounds that people make just before <laughs> they go in to like express their feelings. It's it's a great little setup just to set the tone. Yeah. Go on. It's and it's not because my like I have negative feelings about it. I think I just am mixed. And sure. I, I still I just don't know if I've arrived at like a final decision on this series yet. Okay. I I I enjoyed watching it. I watched it through a second time to see if there was anything that I could like look deeper to sort of try to, to did I miss something? I'm fascinated by that, Kyron, because I, I I'm interested to know if there is anything there when we get into spoilers that you yeah. have can can enlighten for me. I, I don't I didn't I don't think I came away with much extra. Okay, so, good to know. Good. Yeah, yeah. But like I mean yeah, I don't know, man. I enjoyed it, but I think we'll find out how much I actually enjoyed it when we start talking about it at length. Cool, yeah. And that's that's the beauty of this. As we discuss it, often I come by that as well. My scores change and stuff as we talk sometimes. And you start to realize, oh, I did appreciate this more than I thought, or that wasn't as big a problem as I thought it was. That's fair enough. We'll, we'll get into that a little bit more as we go. I'm just going to come out straight out and say it. I'm actually really disappointed with the series. <laughs> um, because I really want... Wanted to like it. I, I I was excited when I heard about this. Like a big, iconic story like this, Australian story being remade. Whether it needs to be remade or not is a whole different story. But I think there was room to do it. And Australia, I want I want to see great Australian television. And this certainly could have been that. When they got Natalie Dormer involved, I like her as an actress, particularly through Game of Thrones. I liked her as Marjorie Tyrell, Tyrell quite a lot. Tyrell, is that right? Tyrell. Okay, yes. good. Sorry, you're the expert when it comes to get, uh, Game of Thrones, not me. Um, and so, like, that's good. You're getting big casting in there as well. The trailers impressed me. And I was hearing good things on preliminary sort of reviews and impressions on it. So, that was great. And I'm I like I, I'm a big believer that Australia can make great TV. And I know it can be. I've seen it. Especially, I've seen some really terrific comedies and dramedies come out of Australia. There's countless comedies that I just adore out of Australia. Dramedies like Please Like Me um, are a good example, I think, of what we're really good at, stories we're really good at telling on Australian television as well. I've got to admit, though, I have struggled with native dramas that I've really liked. I often find them to be kind of 
cheesy or shallow or I don't know. I worry that that we haven't had a lot of great... I mean, partly I think the problem with Australian television is that we don't have the resources for a lot of it, if that makes sense, right? So, peak TV sort of happened internationally, especially in, in the United States, over maybe the last, I don't know, 10 years, probably. You think of like Breaking Bad as being the start of that, perhaps. You can argue The Sopranos and West Wings, West Wing and The Wire and stuff, but really... Pig TV sort of happened since then, yeah, Game of Thrones and stuff. And there's so many networks and cable TV stations and all these things happening in the United States and so much being produced that while not all of it's great, there is just this ability to have high quality, high production, high budget um, television coming out. And so some real gems come from that. And Australia's got this problem where we've got like five major networks really, all of whom are not huge in budget because the Australian population just isn't that big. Two of them of those networks are from our government public stations who I think actually make the best television but don't seem to have the funding to do it. Unlike the UK who has a TV tax which directly benefits their the, the content that's produced for them, we don't really have that. It's just whatever the government decides they want to give at the time. There's no <laughs> dedicated funding coming in. And so... While some gems do appear, especially in comedy, which I think probably doesn't need to be as polished as a good drama needs to be, we've struggled to find great stuff. And maybe I've missed stuff on Foxtel as well, because that's like our big cable network, but nothing, I don't know. I'm probably missing things, I am. Anyway, what I'm trying to say is Australia is, it's it, our TV uh, landscape is not huge. And so we haven't had a lot of quality drama. There's just too much reality television as well. It's a whole different story. Yeah. Oh. And so I want... To- oh, reality TV. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> so I really, 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 really wanted to watch this. But sadly, I just didn't think it was very good. I'll, I'll go through the things I liked first and foremost. I like Natalie Dormer. I think she's given it a red hot crack in this show. Though... Sometimes I feel it's pretty obvious to me that she's not feeling the material either. Like, <laughs> there are some scenes where I'm looking and like, I just think she might be phoning that one in a little bit and maybe it's because she's feeling it's not really working just on a script level. And there's, I like- there's a line she has that we can like, we can bring up in spoilers and I'm like, oh, that's a line. I, um, I'm looking forward to hearing what that is. Um, we'll go, I've written that down, so we'll go to that in spoilers. I like the idea of the story. I think it has a lot of potential. They're like the girls that go missing, this huge mystery where three girls and a teacher just disappear and no one can figure out what happened to them, what's happened to them. Have they been murdered? Have they been abducted? Have they committed suicide? Is there something mysterious or magical going on here? And then the effect that it has on their school and the community around them is really interesting. And there's some really interesting themes in here. Um, and the backdrop of the girls' school, I think, is a really really good idea. I just don't... Well, I'll tell you what I don't think about it in a moment, but I, I like those things. There's the, the elements are all there, I think. And there's also some pretty good imagery occasionally. I think there's some pretty standard boring stuff going on here. I think there are some scenes that just no one put any work or effort into at all to make visually appearing appealing. I think there's a real emphasis on like Dutch tilts a lot, which I think is really cheap way to try and be weird and eerie and like odd. Do you know what Dutch tilt is, Karen? I tell you what, I saw this come up 
on Damascus Twitter account. Yeah. And I and I Googled it and it, it was like a glass shattering moment for me. Show. <laughs> it was like, oh God, it is too. It's all uh, it's all Dutch angles. Jeez. Yeah, lots of Dutch angles everywhere. But there there is some good imagery. The opening shot's a good example. I think it's the opening shot of very early on where we're introduced to Miss Appleyard, Natalie Dormer, Dormer's character, walking through the halls of this um mansion. It's actually the Werribee mansion in um in Werribee outside Melbourne. Um and it's one long continuous shot. It's pretty. It's very impressive, if nothing else. And then also you've just got the beautiful landscapes, which l- lend themselves to some pretty s- striking ph- photography as well, which are definitely there too. Appreciate all of that. But for every thing I did like, there are about 10 things I didn't like. And the first thing was, I just didn't care about anyone. For all the interesting themes and ideas, I just didn't find myself invested in anyone's story, how they or how they feel about anything. I didn't feel anything about them. So many characters set up to be mysteries or they're just walking, talking ideas, but they aren't really people. And because of that, I'm left wondering if the show is really about anything or if it's just having a hard time communicating what it's about. And then when it comes to the characters, they just don't think that very many of them behave like people. And maybe there's an argument that's part of the period setting or that's part of the style of the show. I certainly have struggled with, say, Twin Peaks, um, which I found very off-putting in the sense that the people didn't feel like people to me. They weren't acting like human beings, right? But then for some reason, don't ask me why, I don't know, when Twin Peaks The Return came out, I actually found myself really enjoying that. I was able to buy into that for some reason. I, 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 it clicked with me. And this, uh, yeah, go on. I was gonna say, I do think that as far as Twin Peaks go, like the, the return was was very well done. If yeah. that helps at all, like because I mean, it, as, as much as I do enjoy the first couple of seasons, like there are there are weak points that are very obvious. And it might have also been a part because that shows twenty five years old or something like that as well. Yeah, right? it hasn't. So, it, yeah. So it like age is a factor, and that might have been part of the reason that I didn't find myself invested. I've seen too much modern day storytelling and television in particular. I always thought that that was probably a big factor for why I, I had struggled to invest in that in that original run of Twin Peaks. But what I mean to say is I don't think for I, this that version of Twin Peaks the return in particular of being sort of eclectic or mysterious or odd works but this one doesn't i just found it distancing for me no one really has chemistry with each other in this show there are little tiny moments and i understand the idea of these people are feeling trapped or feeling like they're um imprisoned but they just need i need to be convinced about how these people felt about each other and i very rarely was um and ultimately, this just left me all struggling to care or give up my attention to the show and it act- actively pushed me away from it. And I'm just left wondering, like you said, am I missing something? Like, is there something wrong with me? What? What? Why don't I like it, Kyron? Why don't so, I like it? That's the thing, isn't it? Because like, as, like I said, I, I wasn't, I don't know. I still don't know how I feel about it and I don't hate it. I've watched it all a second time through and I was, I was reasonably engaged, but it, it feels like, much like the girls, something was missing. Yeah, right. Exactly. There was just something, something's missing from there. I think to continue, talk about this more, we need to go into spoilers, so we should move on. And I'm really, I'm feeling a bit sad that we might bum people out with this review. Um, 
So we'll give our scores first, and then we'll talk about what that means. So what's your score out of five, Kyron? Would you give for this? Oh, I mean, you, to st- you can change this later if you really need to, but just give okay. me a score now. To, to stick with what my, my initial communication was, I'm just going to go ahead and give it like a, a two and a half out of five for just sure. m- middle roading it, honestly. Cool. I'm going to give it a two, um, which using the Easy Allies score system, which you would have been familiar with when I still did Stars, Kyron. Yes. That two stood for inferior. And that's how I feel. Uh, it 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 let me down. It's not terrible, but it's not it's not good. Is my feelings. Um, do you think people should go watch the show, or should before they listen on to the rest of the podcast, or can they listen on without fear of being spoiled? Uh look, I would nearly say you could listen to the spoilers. Mm. Honestly, do you feel the same? Like I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's I, tough. It's, I mean, it's a story certainly that's sort of well known to a certain degree. And I understand they've probably gone into more detail with this because they have the six hours that the movie doesn't have. And I don't know how, what the book does exactly. So maybe, maybe there aren't that many spoilers anyway. Um, I think if this is something you listen to what we're saying and you think that we're probably getting it wrong, if you listen to me sort of be down on it and go, oh, broad, you just don't get it. You know, all these things you're saying sound like selling points to me. Go and watch the show. If you're interested to know a little bit more, no, honestly, go and, go and watch the show. I think if this interests you at all, go watch the show. I think listen on if you have watched it only because I'm not sure that I don't I don't know if there's a whole lot to talk about um, in any real detail. I don't know. Yeah, I'm struggling to say. It, it's a tough one. Um, I mean, it would listening to this spoil it only, I mean, we maybe the only thing that happens here is your expectations are lowered. So that's a good thing. And if you do decide to watch it, you're like, I don't know. It's hard to spoil something where there are lots of things that get left unsolved anyway. So exactly. That's, like, that's a big thing. It really be me. sold. So, so, spoiled, I mean, anyway. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Um, on that dour note, what a downer. Let's get into spoiler talk. You're now entering the spoiler zone. On this episode, we will be discussing everything that happens in Picnic at Hanging Rock. Before listening any further, we recommend watching all of Picnic at Hanging Rock. If you've not yet done so, proceed with caution. There are spoilers ahead. You have been warned. Deep dive. It's cool to know other people think about this stuff too. should say first up, normally we would have um, 
the Damask story time here, story time with Damask, where she would do a little bit of an overview of the story. Because she's not here and she's unwell, we don't have that this week. Sorry, everybody. I, I don't know what that would have looked like anyway, considering um, how the story sort of, cause, sort of doesn't unfold in this show. But anyway, um, let's talk about, you were saying, Kyron, just as w- between segments there, um, one of the big things that it's worth discussing is just the mystery of the rock. Explain what you sort of mean there. Well, so... Since we're in spoiler territory now, there, there are some things that they sort spoilers. of they, they show or like that are seen in the series at Hanging Rock. Like, so mm-hmm. there's like a screaming red cloud that sort of parts in the sky, and at some points there's like they hear sounds or see like dust in the light, sort of following them, and you're like, what is what is all this stuff? Like, is this gonna sort of go somewhere? And like, it feels unfair to angle this at it, but at some points I was watching it, going, oh man, I, I'd like. I'd like an Australian Twin Peaks sort of thing. Yeah. Like yeah, sort of totally mystery. Right. And maybe that was part of we why get our I was Bob. Like, yeah. <laughs> Rock maybe Bob. That's, that might be why I was disappointed, which is not very fair on the show at all. But that was sort of something I kind of wanted more of because it was so, it was, I want, I love that sort of shit, that sort of like mystery, supernatural or whatever. It doesn't have to be, yep. but it was interesting and it didn't really deliver much there in the end for me. Yeah, it is interesting. I understand exactly what you're saying. It's a question of, is this a mystery that's meant to be solved or not? And we live in, especially when it comes to television, we live in a post-lost era. We're living through Westworld currently, which is, you know, very heavy on its mysteries that do generally have solutions. Um, But sometimes things don't. Like, I think actually Twin Peaks is a good example of that. Some do with enough time, but usually they just lead to more questions anyway. You think about yeah. how, without giving any spoilers, how Twin Peaks The Return end, Returns ends. That last episode is like... that. So many people are trying to figure out what that all means. There's so many different theories on that, that ending and how what it's trying to say. And for me, like, I don't... Like, you can... In, you can have a mystery like what happened to the girls, right? Yes. The bit that that can be frustrating, and maybe this is more to do with me as the viewer, and I accept that if that's true, when they're doing things like having everybody suddenly fall asleep. Yeah. And the, the watchers all stopping on exactly midday. And seeing sort of yourself or like a future version of yourself at the same time, like some weird wibbly wobbly timey wimey stuff going on and the mysterious dust cloud and just this, like they're hinting at the idea of some weird magical timey wimey stuff going on, which fine, but I, what, what I wonder, what I don't know is what, means like it's one thing to not say oh yes there is this you know ancient um, entity that controls the rock and is a mysterious ancient force which is I don't necessarily need to know what it wants or anything like that but in terms of the story I'd like to know what it means and like I can make some guesses at it I just don't think it's very interesting like does that make sense like yeah there are parts where they almost open up some possibilities for you to sort of interpret it as you want. Like there's that stuff with Sarah, because they talk about they made their vow. Yeah, and, and there's like, some mystical element, some spell they've cast in a way, yeah. Yeah, because they have all that almost which ritualistic when they're sort of laying down in in specific positions and stuff yep. like that. And there's like, and yeah, like there's just so much there where you're like, yeah, 
more <laughs> and it never sort of gets there. And like, it's interesting you mentioned like the mystery itself because there's stuff with Irma as well when she's back from the rock. Yes. And she talks about how she can't remember the, or whether she can't or just won't. And how she was out there for, was it nine days she was out there for, I think? Yeah, and that that looked like she'd been, like, apart from a bit of dehydration, dehydration, she looked like she'd sort of been gone for overnight, maybe, at most. Yeah, and it's just, it's the stuff like that where you're like, okay, I'm interested, but it never really even, it doesn't go, I, I don't think it was ever going to address it completely, but, like, to sort of go closer towards it would be nice sort of yeah it's frust- that's the thing as well it, when you feel like you're being given breadcrumbs but not enough to like sustain your your hunger if that makes sense like yeah it's one thing to just have like if for me right if the setup was nothing weird and magical and crazy was going on and the girls just disappeared right and we're left going was it you know you can have people making theories because they're religious or they have an interest in the occult or they're detectives or, you know, they think they know the girls or whatever. That's one thing. But to to have such weird uh, magical elements so prevalent in the way the story is told is to suggest there is an answer, which is to be frustrated when I don't get one, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Uh- just thinking about it more and more like there's and especially because they go into they go into all these characters like they well they try to go into all these characters so they establish them as much as they can do they though like this is my problem as much as they can (laughs) i was getting that's what i was going to get to and it's sort of you are you supposed to do we care they went missing like yeah right especially like the the main one what was her name Matt, Matt, Miranda Matt, Miranda like I feel like there was a lot of focus on her like being a big deal when she was going missing but when they dealt with her story stuff I I don't know I just didn't really care that much well this is why I was sort of saying when these people these characters are ideas more than they are yeah. people right so she sort of represents this free spirit who you know she's a bit of a tomboy and she'd rather be out in the wilderness in her bare feet without a corset, on the farm, back home, with the, with the horses and stuff like that. She represents this frustration, this need to be free. In fact, I think there's a huge theme on freedom and the idea of freedom in here, right? And the, that whether that is because you are being repressed sexually, whether that means that you're um, being uh, disregarded because of your skin colour, whether that's someone who feels trapped in high society, through expectations, whether that's trapped in from your past, you've actually the you know imprisoned yourself and locked yourself away from the world as Miss Appleyard has. There's this whole idea of freedom, and she is this Miranda specifically is this representation of someone who is so in control or, or so aware of her freedom or her need to be free, and she can bring it out of the other girls and sort of help them along. The problem was that I didn't feel like Miranda was a person. She just was this... She was like the entity that that expressed that idea, but she wasn't anyone that I gave a shit about. And like, yeah. so when you say, do we care when the girls disappear, I can kind of see why you might... Why you have the girls disappear up front. I kind of wonder whether another way of telling this story for television, this six-hour version of it, is to 
Because what they do is episode one is a brief introduction to the characters and the setting. And then they go on the picnic and then some weird stuff starts happening and then the girls disappear. And that's the end of episode one. All set up for that. And then the rest of the series is spent going back kind of bit by bit and having these little scenes here and there about um, who these people were and what might have been going on in the background, right? So, whether that's Irma and um, uh, sort of her stuff with, well, there's Irma in there. Uh, well, who's the other girl? Um, I, I forget the other one's name. <laughs> I've got it written down because I was meant to remember this. This is really... Uh, so, Miranda... Uh, Irma and Marion, sorry, was Marian. the other one. Marion's definitely got, especially, let's go to Marion as a great example. She uh, is forming a relationship with this teacher, Miss um, McCraw, who is barely a character in the show. Which really <laughs> frustrates me. And so there's obviously a bit of like two things happening there. The teacher-student element, which is forbidden, but also that it's a lesbian relationship, right? And so these are all... Un, you know, things that are, are not becoming of a woman. They're being, society's telling them they can't be this way. So they're trapped and they need to be free because they're living these in-between lives and all these big ideas are expressed, but they're so quickly sort of just, we spend a little bit of time with these people and not enough time that I think they've got any chemistry together. Like I never felt like um, Marion and Ms. McCraw had any chemistry. There's this, there's some flirting going on, but it's I just don't see them as people. And so the little bit that I got wasn't enough to sustain my interest or to care about what happened to them, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, that's the tough part because a lot of, a lot of our of the character development is it sort of feels like it is done through like five minutes scene here, five minutes scene there. And I again, for a lot of them, it didn't really didn't really work for me. Uh, again, I my bias will show the character I was most invested in was obviously Appleyard, Natalie Dormer. But, You're a big um, Natalie Dormer fan, aren't you? I am a big Natalie Dormer fan, yes. Yep, fair enough. Um, but I felt at least, I mean, I guess, was she meant to be the main character? Because it, hers, it almost felt like at least her story was like, because she, she obviously has run away from, from her, her situation. Past life. Yeah, mm-hmm. past life. And there's a, she, she talks a lot about like letting the darkness in or like, and talking to the girls about, I can't remember. I'm just forgetting scenes now. It's just a blur. But you said it twice, so <laughs> yeah, I know. No excuse. But ultimately, the, the the fact that they get to they they get to be free, however that is, sure, yeah. And she is led to the rock as well, and she makes the choice to jump. I guess by to free she, herself. She did a real Tommen she, in she, that moment. She really did. Like I actually had to stop. Because I was laughing so much because I thought was just thinking oh, about the absurdity no. of that shot because oh. it is so similar to. It's a, this is a massive spoiler for Game of Thrones. Sorry, it's, it's like it's like two years old now. So two years old now. But this character, who her character in Game of Thrones is is very directly attached to, without getting to into spoilers here, <laughs> does a very similar act in a very similar shot. Yeah, um, like almost identical in a lot of ways. And I kind of laughed a lot because of that, but I'm not necessarily, but I thought it was hilarious. It also reminds me of that shot from the IT crowd. I think it's the start of season two when- uh, oh, When he jumps the, out the window. The, it's a great gif when the guy just gets oh. up and just just steps out off the uh, out the window and off the building. A classic um, moment in that show, honestly. If you haven't seen it, I recommend watching it. <laughs> I mean, there's gifs of it everywhere. If you yeah. just go on Twitter long enough, you'll find it eventually. 
Someone will be out, someone will be just fed up with the world and just like, yep, and I'll be the gift that shows up. <laughs> um, yeah, that was an interesting choice. Sorry, I interrupted your flow no. there. She did the Tommen. Yeah, yeah, she did the Tommen. But like, I at least I sort of felt like that story had a conclusion. I guess. Sure. Like, yeah, there was like, a choice made there. Yeah, it, like and- you understood that there was an arc to what was going on with her. Yeah, because- A complete arc. Like, late in that series, clearly you can tell that she is not right anymore. Like, she starts seeing, like, the maggots and stuff like that on the ground mm-hmm. at, her, at her feet and all that. And, and again, yeah, like, she makes that choice. And I was like, okay, like, I can't- That was, again, I think that's why I attached to her, to her most as a character. Because beginning, middle, end sort of happened for her story- Whereas, again, a lot of the other... The girls in particular, I guess, are the main ones to talk about. Like, there were the other side characters I, that had stuff happen. But, but the girl- just I think that's a good way of putting it, though. They had stuff happen. Yeah. Like, I, I'm, did you care at all about um, Ms. Appleyard's relationship with the Doctor character, which she has maybe three scenes with? Not really. Like, he's not a character. He's not a person. He's right? a doctor. <laughs> what did you think about, for instance, that scene where the guy that... Um, that Miranda stabbed with the pitchfork in the ranch at the and the stables came and started to take a dump on the carpet. Like, does does that mean much to you? It, what's it? Is it if it's saying anything? It's so bluntly just that men are pigs, you know. Yeah, that I don't know if it was worth trying to say it or saying it that way. Is that or? What? I think it was very clear that he was a pig when you initially meet him. Right, right. Like, once you've got a scene where a guy is forcing himself on a young girl, we understand what you're trying to say. To have him... I mean, I think the thing that comes out of it is we find out she has the gun and then the inspector starts like, why do you have this gun? And it's like, but surely there's another way to get there. A highway man's gun, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. That's a main main takeaway, I think. Uh, I just... I, I thought that was pointless for it to be there it didn't seem to do anything motivate anything it didn't seem to say anything you've got the stuff with um dora lumley as well and then she burns at the end with her brother who's a creep that that entire wrap up to their story like that just happens it just is it happens right it's not a story it's not an arc she is a very odd character i don't mind the performance i think the performance is quite good i just don't know what i care about this person and like yeah you can come to the conclusion that that her religion and then her very super like he, he's got some weird deluded gross male um god complex things happening where he says i'm the good book and stuff like this and he's chastising her because she's got this essentially a, a dildo in her possession right yeah it's like we call it the devil's crucifix i like that um and that, like, if you want to discuss that that's evil, well, great. That there is definitely evil there, but I, it was so bluntly told and was just thing a thing that happened in this yeah. story. And I didn't care about her character very much. Half of her, one of the big things that she does is there's kind of a half joke about how she can't play Moonlight, Moonlight Sonata on the piano. Like, they sort oh, of return yeah. to that two or three times in an episode. I'm like, that's not funny nor interesting nor anything this is just music appreciation (sighs) they are are appreciating her music bro yeah there there are a lot of characters where a lot of stuff happens but i just don't could not invest or care about 
any of them. Natalie Dormer was the the best example. Who was really like the okay. Here's my thing as well, right? Her story, a lot of her story, is that ultimately she her actions are somewhat um, guided by paranoia, right? Because she's yeah. paranoid about this secret that she has about who she was in a former life and people finding out. And certainly people are finding out that she's maybe not who she says she was. There's and a lot I, of suspicion around her, yeah. There's also the, what she did as well and the consequences of that she thinks that someone has come across to come across the ocean to get her as well. Yeah, someone's after her, right? And the big thing at the end of it was that that she was paranoid and there was no one after her, right? And the problem with that was I always felt like she was paranoid. Do you know what I mean? Like, I never at any stage really believed that there was anyone after her, nor did I believe that um, they had anything to do with the girls disappearing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, the... So, so much of people's motivation comes from guilt that they're the reason the girls went missing. But the show went out of its way to suggest this mystical, magical element to the girls' disappearance that I can't ever get on board with any of those people's fears. It's... I just found... I don't know. I found it really, really hard to... to be on board with what the characters were doing and, and the motivations for their actions because some of the times there was just... like So often it was just stuff happening. I feel like I'm rambling now, but uh, it just it, it, it's the best way to express my feelings about it. Sorry, go on. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I do wonder how much of... I mean, again, to go back, it's, it's all about the mystery, but how much of that are we meant to just sort of accept because of the time period? Like, there are all these possible explanations. Sure. And because of the period it's set in, like, those, like the people there would not have ruled out the supernatural option either. Mm-hmm. So, like, I wonder if we're just meant to be to, to look at all these options and, and accept that there is no answer. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like, cause they, so what, let's try to round up all the possible explanations. There's the, the, the mystery of the rock, first of all. Yep. Just magic happened. Yep. Ma- magic happened. Uh, there was Natalie Dormer, at, her character thinks that maybe the people who were after her are behind the girl's, the girl's disappearance. At Which one wasn't point, the case. no, at one point, uh, I've forgotten her name already. The one from Orange is a Do Black. Yeah, uh, Laura, Dora Lumley. Yep. Yeah. At one point, she 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 asked her brother if he was behind it. Yep. Uh, what else is right there? at the end? Yeah. She yeah. Asked right at the right at the very end, she's like, "Are you behind the disappearance?" He's like, okay. And then they burn anyway, so who cares? Yep. Um, who else was there? I'm trying to think if there was any other. They they briefly mentioned the the inspector's uh, indigenous. Co-worker friend. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Question sure. mark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Co-workers, probably a really nice way of putting it. Go on. Yeah, I know who you mean. Yeah, like, there's so many possible explanations. And I do wonder, maybe because in in that time, there was no real way to know for sure without finding bodies, Mm -hmm. which they obviously didn't find. And and I I don't know. Like, is that enough, though? Is that enough to to sustain that mystery? Here's the thing, I think. it For me, the most obvious answer is the one that the, the show actively suggests, which there, well, there was two. Either there was some weird pact, like suicide pact. That's what I thought. Which the show suggests isn't the case, mainly because they suggested 
it suggested the show in the way, in its imagery, in the way it was cut and edited together, suggests that where Ms. Appleyard jumped is exactly the same place the girls would have jumped, but they didn't mm. because they well they they must not have probably because they didn't find the bodies right. Maybe maybe because of the weird timey wimey stuff, magical portal just ripped them away to another time, and that's why no one has been able to see them. But the most obvious answer for me, especially because Miss McCraw is there with them, and that Irma isn't there that she stayed behind is sort of a bit of a mix of like there was a choice to leave and go and be free, right? Maybe even leave and go like to Melbourne or they mentioned Bendigo or whatever, right? To escape their lives as they are. And certainly their um, Miranda would want that because she hates her current life. And Marion and Ms. McCraw would want that because maybe they could not live something that's more than their in-between life. Their relationship can be something else, right? The most obvious answer is that somehow they've just evaded everyone and they're off living a new life somewhere, right? And that yeah. Irma chickened out and stayed behind. But right? was, that doesn't really explain how she was gone for nine days. Well, what? Well, if either there's some weird timey-wimey element to it that well, there is yeah, a little bit of magic, or maybe to try and not raise suspicion, she went and then chickened out later and came back and put herself at the rock until someone found her. Oh, uh, yeah, I guess that's possible as well. You know, it's just like the simplest, the, the, the two simplest explanations by the end of the show, and the one that they're suggesting mostly is that they did, whatever it was, was either magical or by choice, they have left to be free, right? This It's all about freedom. Yeah, right? definitely. So, I don't... I just... Uh, yeah, the po- other possibilities just didn't seem that interesting to me. And as they were sort of snuffed out one by one, I didn't really care because the characters who were involved just didn't interest me. I don't know. we got, we got to move into other things here. Otherwise, we're just going to get yeah, it's real, real, real down. The Talking about the shots as well. I did talk about the opening shot with Miss Appleyard going through the... Um, the mansion at the start, that one long continuous take, which I enjoyed in terms of its complexity, but thought was more of just a, a great introduction to Natalie, to Miss Appleyard and to showcase Natalie Dormer than it was about anything, if that makes sense, right? Sort of established the space and gave it some its importance, but I don't know if it was saying anything particularly. The other shot I really liked that stood out to me, there was one when we had a flashback to Hester when she's underneath the bed and then you just sort of see the body fall and she yeah. like rolls her eyes a little bit or something like that. Like, like, just she this- like checks her watch. <laughs> yeah, right. There's just a real, it was really well staged and a real playfulness to it. It had character, which I feel like so many other shots didn't have. And what I found fascinating is the style of the show was really at odds with itself sometimes. It's really stiff a lot of the time in terms of how the characters talk and stuff. And yes, you can argue that's part of the period, but I think that's a bad excuse personally. I think you can work through that and still have people feel like human beings. And then you've got them trying to do their weird eerie things. So you do your Dutch tilts and you're like weird whispery noises and typewriters and ticking and like screams and all sorts of weird things happening on the wind and the shots of the leaves and the landscape and the fog and like all these sorts of stuff that's going on. And then you've got like occasionally like electric guitar comes in. But the thing is, it doesn't seem to to stick to any one thing. Like they have this weird modern pink text, right? It's like every time they do like a um, an establishing time and place card, it's like this vibrant neon pink that to me, and if you look at the, mater- the, like, the marketing material and the posters and stuff like that, is meant to give it this like 
um, this big bombastic modern edge to it, which I think is actually a really interesting idea to try yeah. and not change the period, but give it a little bit more grit and guts and 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 style from a more modern era and place it in there. I think of like things like um, uh, Marie Antoinette, the Sofia Coppola um, movie or something like that, where they put sort of in infuse this modernity into it to give it a little bit of a fresh take and and a sense of rebellion and teenagerdom and like you know new ideas trapped in an old world sort of thing. Yeah. But that's as far as it sort of goes and I just wish it sort of went there and didn't just half do it. It's it's feels underdeveloped and underused. I don't know. Does it do you feel that at all? Yeah, I I absolutely agree cuz I, I do remember seeing oh, I'm not sure if it was like the very first poster but seeing the name like Picnic at Hanging Rock in mm-hmm. that vibrant pink font was like this is interesting that's yeah. that, it, it caught Catches my attention. Your attention right yeah absolutely yeah. and then as you said like the, the some of the, the posters i have of like the one in particular i'm thinking of is the one of like it's got natalie dormer's face and it's got the silhouette of the girl sort of spiraling out of her i head. love that poster i got so yeah. excited based on that because it was sort of suggesting some psychedelic fluoro pop thing going on here but it never really happens. It doesn't. It happens in the text and occasionally some of the sound design sort of goes there, but it never it never commits to it. Yeah. Which maybe is more of maybe we should be like the text and stuff is some of the last thing that gets done, right? Like the music and the um graphic design stuff is some of the last things that get done in a production. And then the marketing as well. Maybe this was an influence. This sort of reminds me, do you remember um, when Suicide Squad came out? There was sort of like, that film is notorious for being filmed to actually be sort of more of a, a serious movie. And then when Guardians of the Galaxy came out, they went, oh shit, we've got to change this all up to make this more interesting. They went and did a bunch of reshoots to add comedy to the film and then retroactively because the uh, one of the trailers was cut to be like big and bold and bombastic with all this this bold you know pop rock soundtrack and stuff in it that they added that to the film to make it to give it that style this to I, me feels the same way the marketing of it like someone went oh what if we marked it like this and they went yeah that's great can we put some of that into the show and they put a touch of it in but never went ran with it go on yeah, I was gonna say I, I definitely don't know what you're talking about with Suicide Squad, and yeah. and it does sort of there. Are, you can see it in this a bit as well because yeah, like so much of the, the stuff leading up to it was interesting and vibrant, and it didn't really cu- carry over besides some some text and some font. Like that's about it. I think so too. Yeah, like, you talk. Go on. Yeah, I was gonna say it's just it's disappointing because I was I. I wanted it to pop a bit more. Like yeah. visually, I period period stuff is very interesting. And I think like from my lack of knowledge of the time, like the costumes and a lot of the stuff that was in it looked good. But I, I was wanting it wanting it to grab me more. I think there's a real missed opportunity with this the material as well. You're talking about this sort of this the forbidden love or the famil- forbid- forbidden sexuality of these things, right? And they they hinted it, but they can't ever go there or be sort of embrace that. Like there is something really powerful and um, enticing and attractive about seeing people who are passionate be passionate in a dispassionate world, right? When yes. you've been 
held back and trapped for so long to finally find a moment to do the thing you're not meant to be doing, right? And they never show it. They just suggest it. They never go there and they never really be sexy. There's one, there's like one lesbian kiss in the entire show or there's a suggestion. They don't even say the word or really even suggest its use, just suggest it's it's how it could be used in the in terms of the dildo, right? Yeah. Like the devil's crucifix. They there was a bit uh, the last episode on Foxtel Go or Foxtel Now, sorry, which is the the service I you know you have to pay for to use to watch this show on Foxtel here. The I was looking at all the ratings of them. Like they tell you in the on the the card thing on the website what their sort of thing is. And the last episode is like um uh like adult themes um like something something else and then sex a sex scene or something like that or or uh, yeah I do remember seeing sex in like the rating for the last episode. Yeah. Can you tell me where that was? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's not in there. It, it didn't doesn't happen. happen. There is an impl- there is sort of a really, really PG sex scene in like episode four or five with the um, the French teacher or whose name I can't remember. Uh, um, yeah, they we they they slept together, but it's dispassionate and nothing. And then I think I'm guessing that sexual element that they're talking about in the last in the last element is that they talk about the dildo and the guy says the devil's crucifix and sort of thrusts it back and forward to give you its meaning. And was like, is that enough to give this like that rating? Is that what they were talking? It's the only thing in there that I can think about. Yeah. There's nothing else. There's nothing. Like nothing. And even that is, I would, it's obviously shouldn't have garnered that rating, honestly. <laughs> no, it's ridiculous, right? And and now, and I wonder like were these filmmakers, these creators held back from being able to do this? Did someone get in the way and say, no, no, we want to keep this as PG or M so that a certain audience can watch it or we don't want to be so risque? Like, not that that's even fucking risque. It's 2018, no. guys. Like, if there's anything that you should be able to do with a 2018 version of this story and you want to explore, like, sexual repression and and forbidden love or any of these sorts of things, fucking do it. You can do it now. That's exactly what we're able to do. And it just feels so hamstrung by, I don't know. Yeah, like I mean, an ambition. I don't know. So we we get we get what the one the one lesbian kiss one kiss. There's the, there's the two male characters who oh, are. Oh, they do. You're right. They do suggest. They, they suggest they imply stuff there. They never really go any further than suggesting it. It's hardly Brokeback Mountain. Yeah. yeah, and you have to. Yeah, why? Yeah, I don't know. But more could have been done there for sure. I mean, it was pretty obvious, but. It just felt like they half measured it, especially with the, with the two male characters. Well, and like, again, you could make the argument, I think, that like, but that's the point, right? They live in this society that won't allow them to be this way. They're being, they're trapped uh, and unable to live these lives. Fine. But that keeping them tracked at, trapped, literally like having the text keep them trapped so that they can never be open or be passionate or show chemistry or let us experience any of what they're actually feeling is bad storytelling as far as I'm concerned. Like you have left me cold and I can't invest with them because I don't believe them because they're not, how how much can they really love and care about each other if they can't find a quiet moment alone to be who they are? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like show they- me it. 
Don't had, tell me it. They had quiet moments alone several times. They like did. The, the two couples in particular that, we, yeah. that we're talking about. They had opportunities. It's and just, I, it's really like, it's really Christian level, <laughs> like, sexiness. It's like, it's it's the sort of sexiness that that a that a, a pair who can't have sex until they're married have pre-marriage, where they sort of like swap glances and read books together, and and it's just I got to tell you, it's just not that sexy. It's just not that engaging. Yeah, well, I mean, so overall, this show is ma right for all the is episodes. It? Is it? Is it? Is it? I'm gonna fucking to- hell. I need to check Foxtel. I would like, love to I, know what's rated in like the UK and the US on their services because Australian ratings can be pretty fucked sometimes. It's true. And I, I just briefly on that note, it was weird to have watched this show and be like, I'm going to go on the internet and, and talk to people about it. But because like the rest of the world's still waiting, <laughs> it was just sort of like nothing. There's nothing there. I've seen a couple was- of reviews. Some people seem to really like it. And I've seen one review from a source that I wish didn't I didn't agree with, just saying it's awful. Um, <laughs> yeah, and it, and I because especially for a show like this, it's almost one of those shows where like maybe if I can talk about it, if I can talk it out, maybe that'll improve how I feel about it. So far, it's not working. I'll be honest. <laughs> so yeah. far, it's not making me think upon it more fondly. But. I wanted to. and I'm, it, I'm really impressed you watched it twice, Kyron. I'm really impressed that you watched it twice. I kind of wanted to go back and at least watch episode one again, but I could not bring myself to do it. Honestly, I really struggled to get through it at all. I really found myself, my attention just just evaporating. Every 10 minutes, I was like, where's my phone? Oh, fuck. I need to pay so attention to this show. Like, really had a hard to me time. As, it happened to me as well. <laughs> It's 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 at six episodes. I can I've certainly had shows where that's happened early on because it's still introducing the characters. I think The Wire is a good example. The Wire is like The Wire is one of the best shows ever made. So it's hard to compare anything to that, right? But The Wire, the first episode or two, I didn't quite understand what the appeal was. But by episode three, four, five, I was like, oh, okay, you've got me now. And I found myself actually very engaged with that entire five season run of that show. This is only six episodes, right? If you can't get me. By episode two or three, you have really stuffed up because you are right in the middle of your story. And I was still like, this is like five hours and I am, I've watched 13 hours of television sometimes a week and I'm struggling to get through five. That's real bad. And that's, and that's part of a reason why I, I think, I wonder, would I like the movie more? Because the movie probably, I imagine it's going to be similar to this where the girls go missing, maybe not immediately, but probably early on in the movie and then the rest of the movie, movie deals with the consequences. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's better if it's not essentially five hours long. Was this like, stretched out too long? Were they trying to- Yeah, that's to, what I wonder. I wonder that too. I actually had a thought the way that they maybe that- We've talked about recently about another series called um, American Crime Story, The Assassination of Gianni Versace, which is interesting because it has an, a structure where it sort of tells the story in reverse. Um, and I found that to be very problematic I think we all did actually. We had th- the three of us on that episode of the episode of that show, and we all agreed that it actually got in the way of our engagement with the story and how we engaged with the, the main character in particular of Andrew Kanan. And the in this show, I feel like that maybe I mean it's it, you would have to solve a bunch of other things too. But I think there is another you could have done structured this differently over six hours to make it a bit more engaging. I wonder whether episode one should still have suggested the girls disappearing. But we spent more time not just on 
they sort of did this anyway. But like, uh, actually, sorry, no, let me explain that better. Let's not see them at the picnic necessarily in the first episode, but let's imply that they disappear. So maybe this is a better example, example way of telling it. Go back a little bit further. Start not the day before Valentine's Day like they do, right? Start a little bit further back where, where we're understanding how these girls care about one another, how they interact with one another, have their stories with the people that interest them. For example, um, Marion with uh, Ms. McCraw happen over a few episodes and have that build over most of the season. And in the first episode and maybe every, every episode flash forward to the disappearance, if that makes sense, or to what's happening in Hanging Rock. So imply that they disappear and that's going to be a massive drama. But let's sort of like make the show more about building up to it at least until halfway maybe and then the second half be about what happened afterwards. I just felt like I would have cared a lot more about these girls if I had time to care about them. Does that make sense? Yeah, like, it does. They save so much of Miranda's stuff to the last episode. They just push her to the fucking back but she's kind of the most interesting person outside Miss Appleyard. Yeah. <sighs> I don't know. That, I mean, that's armchair directing which is not a good thing to be doing but it's... I just there's got to be another way to tell this. I want to give you an example of a scene that really sort of exemplifies me re- for me the problem with the storytelling. Te- there's a scene where Sarah is talking um, with this random maid character, right? She's sitting in bed, yeah. and the maid shows up and she brings her her breakfast. And I swear the maid's in it for like one episode, really. She's got like a bunch of lines in like this one episode. I could be wrong. Everyone sort of fades into the background for me, and she's talking <laughs> about her brother Bertie and running off to the circus and. It's just like really poorly acted. Like the the child actress and the maid just don't seem like real people. The way they're sort of ooing and gasping at each other. And then Miss Appleyard comes in and talks about posture boards and secrets. And when the little set girl says, "You don't know anything," Appleyard just slaps her, and then the scene ends. And I just was sort of like, I don't recognize any of these people as being people. Everyone is acting terribly, and the writing is stiff and lacking in character. And I just sort of sat there and went, "What was that scene?" Every scene is sort of meant to be like, if you're doing good storytelling, every scene should have its own little story. Like, have something come in, people interact, and then they leave different. I kind of went in there and just went, I don't know, I don't know what I was meant to learn about Sarah or Appleyard in that scene that I haven't already known about them anyway. Do you know what I mean? It was just yeah. a scene. Oh boy, uh, <laughs> here's, here, this will help you out, Broad. Uh, don't remember that scene at all. Oh, really? You've watched it <laughs> Just, twice. There you go. I watched it twice. That scene is a blank for me, so okay. that's not a good sign. <laughs> okay. I just... Ah, oh, man. I've written that, here... That's it. This is directed and act, acted like a community theatre production. Am I being really too harsh? Or did that? Did it feel that way to you at any stage? Uh, I, again, I'm not I'm not as, as weathered as far as, like, television viewing goes. So, I, I didn't... I, there were some performances where I was just sort of like, nah... Nah, man. <laughs> but uh, I didn't. I didn't run into that many problems with the acting. But again, I am very much a a casual television viewer. The other the other note I had here is: Who is this art teacher character? Are we meant to be care about her leaving? She's sort of just like oh, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> you <laughs> had earlier. You were saying you had a line in particular that you wanted oh, to bring up. What's God. the line, Karen? So I, I might get the line wrong, but it's the line. I, I'm pretty sure it's Appleyard that says it. Which is just, um, do you suffer from memories? Do you suffer like from, the, memories, from memories? Right. Yes, I remember yeah. this line. And it was just, I heard that line. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, that was a weird one. She was, if I'm right, and I might be wrong here, she's talking about her like 
she is having these dark flashbacks to her past that seem to be haunting her memories, right? So yeah. So when she says, do you suffer from memories? She's talking about like this weird PTSD, well, not PTSD necessarily, but she's being haunted by her past in a way right there. And I want that line. Do do you, yeah? That's a real attempt to do some flowery language that just doesn't play right. That just doesn't just doesn't hit. It just misses the mark yeah. completely. Again, stylistically, maybe I don't know. Do you have anything else you desperately want to talk about before we move into final thoughts? Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I could grab onto and sort of go. I hey, actually, you know what I will say, and it, it's sort of an obvious one. Sure, man, Australia look Australia looks good. Yeah, it does look good, doesn't it's it? Good looking country. <laughs> it was it that was something that was on a very surface level. It was nice to see a lot of places that I recognised to talk about places that I recognised. Um, I, you know what's something I really this is dumb, right? This shows how into the show I wasn't. They kept mentioning Bendigo a lot, which is obviously where we come from. Yes. And I wondered, as this goes out to an international audience, are there going to be people who just go crazy for hearing about Bendigo because they watch that Rick and Morty um, oh my God, Bushland I, I, Adventure I, thing? Like, oh, they're talking about Bendigo. Bendigo's a real place. Sorry. I, was, I wonder if that'll happen sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was a bit weird, though, like watching this... I would say this, I don't know what the budget on this show was, but like hearing Bendigo and like Wood End sort of Mount Macedonia sort of I mean, thrown around. They're all that. Well, I I found that quite engaging as someone who yes. like lives in this region. And yes, exactly. it's 120 years after this story takes place, whatever. Everything looks very different, but it is very familiar territory for us. We have driven past or have been to all of these places at some stage in our lives. Yeah. And um, it's, there is, because that's the thing, right? This is, again, the thing that's frustrating. I think there is, it's a really, it's a place where I don't think enough great stories have been told yet. I think there are great, there are great stories um, and the potential for for great shows or movies or whatever here, because there is a lot of beauty and mystery to places like Hanging Rock or The Bush or all of those sorts of things. And I just, just don't feel like this show had the guts to do enough with it again it's a frustration that comes i talked about this in the show um we we're talking about riverdale last week and i sort of came out middling about riverdale because the thing that uh, the, uh, riverdale wasn't for me right but i understood that it was being a it was being exactly what it set out to do do you know what i mean like i can't ding it too many points when it's being exactly what it wants to be like yes it's not for me you're doing your thing exactly as as good as you could possibly do it, I think. This yes. show's frustrating because I look at it and go, I see the potential in you. I see what you are trying to do. I think I understand what you mean, but you're just not doing it with any guts or bravado or passion or any of the things that would give me, make me invested or excite me. And that's so disappointing. Yeah. No, I, I, you're absolutely right there. I, when, when this was first announced, I was excited initially because of the obvious casting of Nally Dorma, but also just Hanging Rock is a, it's a, it's a cool place. Like it is. And obviously like the Australian bushland is an interesting setting and the time period. And of course the idea of like these four girls go missing, but what happens? And you're like, okay, there's a lot of hooks here that could drag me in, but I, I, sitting here at the end, having watching it twice through, I don't know. I don't know. We wanted to like it, Karen. We really did. That's the thing, I, right? I really wanted to like it. Yeah, I know. All right, let's move in. Let's move into final thoughts. Any last words? Final thoughts. That's why you always leave a note. 
I just want to point out there one more time. I understand that this is two men talking about a show that is very much about women's stories. Um, and I'm sorry Damask isn't here today that she couldn't make it. We will, I will try to make sure she gets to express her side of this as well. I actually don't think it's very different from mine, from what I understand, the short conversation we had. But make sure we get that voice included in the next episode. So that will be coming for sure. Um, I do feel bad just for being the two, the two, the two dudes talking about this. Yeah, I do a little <laughs> bit. I just, I, I just want to double down that I'm aware of that. Yeah. A, a grain of salt, as we said. Um, do you have a least favorite or favorite episode, Kyron? Have you been able to distill any of that sort of stuff? A least favorite or a favorite episode? Um, Sometimes these are hard to come by when they... The, one of the biggest problems I found with a lot of modern television is that episodes don't seem to be as um, singular or as separate as they used to be. They don't quite have as much of an identity from one to the other, though I did find that it was a certain... There was something going on with these. I think I've tried to... to the first episode, sort of the setup of the mystery. The second episode's developing the mystery and trying to like uh, talking about the case of what happened to the girls and trying to solve that. Then there's an Irma episode. Then there's a Marion episode. Then there's sort of the episode that's more about that French lady. And then the finally, it's sort of a Miranda slash Hester episode at the end. <laughs> so they do sort of have um, a core to them, but they're not super focused. If that makes sense. Yeah, and with the story jumping all over the place, like it is honestly really hard to pick a favorite episode. Just sort of, if I could, if I picked bits from each episode, maybe I could assemble one. But did it was you sort of- did you have any particular favorite bits then, or least favorite bits? It sounds like your least favorite bit was "Do you suffer memories?" <laughs> yeah, I, I I just don't like that as a line, honestly. Sure. Um, look, I was really intrigued by the actual picnic. Yeah, yeah. I, the that that I agree with you actually about that. The stuff. At the at Hanging Rock was good, right? Yeah, like the clocks all stopping. They all, you know, they all lay down and have their sleep. And I was just, I, again, I wanted that scene happening in the first episode almost felt like it was blowing its load too early, really. <clears throat> yeah, no, I think you're right. <laughs> yeah, peaks too early. Well, I'm a, my favorite episode is episode one for the exact reason. I think it's yeah. got that good opening shot. The, pardon me, the introduction to the girls and the setup of the mystery and everything that's happening at Hanging Rock and sort of like when it's, it's really at that point just doing sequential storytelling and letting the the narrative play out that way works really well. It's not flashing back and forth a lot that there is, you know, a little bit of that happening at the start with um, Ms. Appleyard, but mostly it's just sort of happening in real time and we're experiencing it. And to some degree, we can just sort of be a part of that and go with the flow. So I agree with that. My My least favorite episode is episode four, which is the uh, Marion's episode, which for me is frustrating because I actually, like, again, I, thematically, I think Marion's story with Ms. McCraw is quite interesting. It's just that my frustration peaked because I wasn't being given enough from the show. And I just stopped giving the show enough of my attention. I couldn't, I ran out of rope to give it, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. It just wasn't keeping me engaged anymore. And all at that point, when I'm, four episodes into a six episodes story and I don't care all my brain starts doing is looking at the cracks and pick and nitpicking things and it's it's a bad habit but it's just it's it's what happens when a, a show can't grab you well especially it especially happens when again one of the characters in that episode you're supposed to really care about but you just it's not doing it for you you're supposed to care because they're gone yes they're just they're just gone and you're like you, you're desperately reaching to grab onto something but it just doesn't deliver. 
I think that's it, Karen. I think we should probably start wrapping this up because uh, I don't know there's much more we can say about this at this stage. I feel so I feel so bad. <laughs> Just like harping on it. <laughs> well, I should ask you one more time then. You was trying to figure out what your score was. Do you stand by a 2.5 after this discussion? I think I... I... I'm between a two and a two point five at this point. Like it is slipping. Sorry, that's it, my that's my bad. Negative Nancy here. Screw <laughs> no, you over. Like like I said, like I was hoping when I went I went online looking for people to talk to. I was like, this'll this'll help. But having this discussion, I'm like, no, maybe maybe that hasn't. But so, also something's just wrong with us, Karen. We're just broken. It's fine. It's like it's okay if you're broken. <laughs> All right, Kyron, I want to thank you very much for being on this episode today, for being my co-host at Short Notice as well. I really appreciate you coming on and, and for a great discussion. I really enjoyed this. Thank you very much. Um, uh, and thanks. I'll, Go on. I was going to say, I want to thank you for having me. And uh, I hope I did okay with my complete lack of any real TV knowledge. This was more This was more so me just watching the show, being excited for it, and then coming out pretty disappointed. <laughs> no, it was cool, man. You were very good and you really articulated your thoughts really well and I appreciate that. Thank you also to our listeners for listening to this episode of Hunting Seasons. We'd like to, If you'd like to contact us, you can do so via our website, huntingseasonspodcast.com. You can email us at contact at huntingseasonspodcast.com. You can tweet us at huntingscast. You can find myself, Broderick Gordis, on Twitter at bgordis, B-G-O-R-D-E-S, uh, Kyron. I would normally say Damascus, there, Kyron. <laughs> Uh, you can find me on Twitter at LemonManX, which is L-E-M-O-N-M-A-N-X, where and I will be tweeting about a lot of video games very soon. Absolutely. Well, yeah, E3. No, I should have said this earlier. I'm super stoked for E3 as well. I was looking at the schedule, and normally I'm pretty one to stay up till like 2 and 3 a.m. and watch these things. I don't know if I can do it this year. So I'm going to try and go like, I might, I'll do it for Nintendo and maybe Sony if I can do it. And then the, I think the others I'll just watch in the morning when I get around to it. Well, I mean, it's quite nice because some of them are pretty well timed for us. Actually, there's like some eleven a.m. ones. Some, yeah, I did some, see that. Sony's eleven. Some seven a.m. ones. So there's some decent ones, but yeah, like the two a.m. ones are tough. Nintendo will always have me though at two a.m. And if people are interested to listening to your long version of your thoughts, maybe in a podcast form, when it comes to video games, Karen, where would they find you? Uh, well, they can look us up as dialogue options where you can find us both on Facebook and Twitter as just dialogue options. Uh, and yeah, whatever podcast service you use to listen to, we should be on there as well. So just look us up. I highly endorse listening to dialogue options. Uh, thank you to Sean Kirkpatrick, AKA at Shawnee boy draws for his logo and design work to Jordan Calavis for our theme song and Lucas Heil of birthday loyalty club for our bumpers. Find links to their work in our show notes. If you enjoy what we do here and uh, we'd really appreciate you sharing the podcast with others who you think might also enjoy listening. You can, uh, we also appreciate your positive views. Oh, sorry, positive reviews on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or whatever podcast platform you prefer. Next week, Damask will most likely be back to discuss with me Atlanta season two. I'm really looking forward to that. Have you watched any of Atlanta, Kyron? I've watched half of season one, and I'm. It's still on SBS on demand, so I need to finish it. But I was really enjoying it. Yeah, it's really, really interesting show, and um, I've. But not been watched any of season two yet. It's now fully out there um, on SBS, I believe, here in Australia, and I cannot wait to get into it. We'll be talking about that next week. Thank you very much for listening. We will see you next time. Bye for now. See ya. Earbuds, Melbourne's podcast network. Earbudsnetwork.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.